Do you have any vamping? I didn't think of anything to vamp about before this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think we need to vamp because this is a lot. This episode is a lot of glee per glee. Not necessarily in a bad way. It's just a lot. There's a lot of really good stuff. And then like three or four things that just kept it from being perfect. Yes, there were some lead balloons in this party bouquet. I think that's what they're called. Balloon arrangements. You know that thing where it's like you get a whole bunch of balloons at the party store and they sell different designs of balloon in the same thing. And they say, here, you can get one that says happy birthday and three colors and one that has a piece of cake on it. I feel like those are balloon arrangements. But in this case, one of the balloons is lead. <laughs> <laughs> there are four small lead balloons. There, there's three small lead balloons and then one larger lead balloon. Yes. Which is better than some episodes, which are just 99 lead balloons. Yeah. I am curious what you think the lead balloons are. Three mean jokes and the Mercedes plotline. The setup of the Mercedes plotline. That's, that. yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, let's get some thumbtacks and start popping these balloons. <laughs> okay. I forgot where the metaphor is going. <laughs> Wait, this is an odd episode, so I start, oops! <laughs> no, that's okay, I'm... D- Listen, we're starting it with a weird, more subdued energy. I was just, like, randomly following a Wikipedia hole. <laughs> I, I, I came upon a Netflix comedy drama murder mystery series called The Good Cop that starred Josh Groban. What the fuck? And Tony Danza. I haven't seen anything that Tony Danza has been in, if I'm honest. Tony Danza's a man known for playing people named Tony Danza. Hence the trope name, The Danza. That's the only reason that I've heard of his name, actually. <laughs> And Josh Groban is famous for being, oh my, he was in Glee, we could watch this series! (laughs) Uh, Tanner, I'm going to object on the grounds of the the fact that it's called The Good Cop. (laughs) I'm not interested in that narrative. (laughs) I think that just makes it easier for us to mock it. I just, I'm just imagining that this is affiliated with the C- with like the TV series The Good Wife. Uh, no, but it was Dan Bird. You know Dan Bird from uh, Cougar Town? The, he was in two episodes of this. Oh, he was in one episode of this before he was in two episodes of The Good Doctor. The Good Profession. The Good Plumber. The Good Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Their father and son? Yeah, you know how Josh Groban looked just like Tony Danza? No. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna nix this series. <laughs> Tony Tanner. Danza plays a, a streetwise ex-cop paroled from prison after serving seven years for corruption. <laughs> you know, real sympathetic. Uh... I like that the final episode it was canceled after ten episodes, and the final episode is called "Who Cut Mrs. Aykroyd in Half." Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> you know me. I like a I like a good idiosyncratic episode naming scheme. Uh huh. I think that's the only credit that I will give this series based on the Wikipedia page, which I'm assuming that you are also on. Yes. <laughs> Trivia. In episode six, did the TV star do it? The murder vect- victim is identified as Beth Landau. The character is named after series creator Andy Breckman's wife. Breckman had previously named a murder victim after his wife, then fiance. In season two, episode one of Monk, Mr. Monk goes back to school. Beth Landau is the only character murdered twice in shows written by her real life husband. There's something that a psychologist could talk about here. That's that's either really adorable or a massive red flag. Yeah. Wait, hold up. This is by the same guy who did Monk? Yeah. Huh. I don't necessarily have a lot of affection for the TV series Monk, but I, I have watched a lot of it because of proximity, because my dad loves it. 
<laughs> we could also watch the episodes that Josh Rowan was in of The Crazy Ones, where he plays Sarah Michelle Gellar's weird ex. Huh. Wait, hold up. I'm I'm now on Andy Breckman's Wikipedia page, and he named that murder victim after his fiance at the time, now his wife. He named this character after her as an engagement present. Okay, so you know what? It must be adorable then. They must just be like that. I guess so, man. Because, like, listen, I I can understand how that's some manner of flirting in certain couples. Yeah. Aw, you killed me on TV? That's so cute. I love getting killed. I can't wait for J- J- Jessica from Murder, She Wrote to solve my murder. Oh my god. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if it just happened out of the blue, if you were just watching TV and you saw your name pop up as a murder victim on CSI and then you watched the credits and you saw that the guy you d- went on like three dates with is also the show winner, you'd be like, hey, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, really. But hey, you know what? It sounds like they were both happy with it, considering that they're still married, so yeah. good for them? It would be weird if the, they got divorced, and then the way he broke the news is by having her be the perpetrator. <laughs> okay, that's funny. Like, they're watching his latest murder mystery show, and like she's the evil wife who killed the husband and took all his money, and she's like, Honey, is there something you're wanting to tell me? <laughs> no, that's just every Andrew Lloyd Webber property. <laughs> No, Andrew, all the Android Rubber shows are like, listen, I know I'm a hideous, desiccated mulch of a man, but I also... <laughs> Sing to me, my angel of music. You're beautiful. You're so hot. <laughs> Remember when we had really awkward sex in the dark? <laughs> oh, my God. Part of me now is like, we need to start a podcast psychologically dissecting the works of Andrew Lloyd Webber, and part of me is like, no. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's kind of like a true crime podcast, but less morally gray. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, do I take a closer look at that snout? What? Take a closer look at that snout. Oh, I have I have not seen these videos. I think I think instead of the explanation, uh, Emily, you should just put in the actual audio from the video. This is why I was saying that I need a soundboard. <laughs> Gosh, wait, you can put. Does Jake's ham horn app work with making your own sounds? I did. I have no idea. I know that the ham horn app I used to have it was just ham horns, but you could have different arrangements. So I could have a ham horn that was playing Moonlight Sonata. Ah. They should just make a soundboard app, honestly. But yeah, we should actually talk about the episode. (laughs) Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now. As we riff the show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love the show. Better grab your golden stars and slushies, cause you're listening. You're listening to Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Let's talk about the episode. Christina, you start. I do. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Loser Like Me. This is a Glee recap and review podcast. My name is Christina, and... I was talking to Ghost Pa- 
God damn it, what's the line? (laughs) (laughs) My name is Christina, and I can't remember the line that I was going to use for a bit, but Tanner has it written down. (laughs) My parents are dead. I have ghost parents. Ooh. Higher maybe you, you, sound effects. Are you going to do a take or was that it? That, I, th- I think we should go with that. Okay. And I'm Tanner. And <laughs> I, at this point, I don't even know what my intro bit was anymore. Yeah. I was going to write down an intro bit, but then I just had to dance. <laughs> Gotta dance. Gotta dance. Gotta dance. That should have been in this episode. Yeah, but this episode was kind of all bangers. <laughs> yeah, we will get to it later. But I feel like this episode was the everybody except Rachel Berry show, which I'm not complaining about. Yeah, this episode had five bangers and also <laughs> Will song. <laughs> yeah, this felt like they were trying to make it a spotlight episode for about six different people. But even though the fact that this episode we are going to be discussing for today is Asian F... The episode preview, at least on Hulu, talks about uh, Emma's racist parents. I'm like, those aren't connected at all. <laughs> yeah, this episode doesn't really have a, a combined through line unless it's just like, chase your dreams. And for some people, the dream is not interacting with your racist parents. <laughs> and for some people, the dream includes not interacting with racist Will Schuster. <laughs> but he's not racist in the lore of the show. But with your help, he can be. (laughs) For $5 a day, (laughs) you can help Tanner and I reboot Glee in a way that will make sense. (laughs) See, the problem is, if we did a reboot of Glee, there would be hardly any singing, and it would just be the kids playing Dungeons & Dragons. (laughs) No, I think we would would have musical numbers. (laughs) I feel like this episode is an example of what Glee could be like if you and I were in charge. Mostly. But we should get into it. Yeah. This episode is called Asian F again. It aired on October 4th, 2011. It was written by Ian Brennan and directed by Alfonso Gomez Rejon, who has directed in the past for Glee, but I don't remember what episode's off the top of my head. It's fine. I think this is his first one this season. It is, yeah. I think he'll be back later in the season, though. Yeah, he comes back for the Michael episode, which should be good. But yeah, let's get into it, because we got a lot to talk about. (laughs) Alright, so in the previously on, they say Will's helped Emma with her OCD, which is good because she's directing the play. Which is like, okay, so first off, he hasn't really helped her at all. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm pretty sure you can still direct a play if you have OCD. Yes. He has helped in the sense that he has at least occasionally been a supportive partner. Yes. But not in like a helping to actually provide like coping mechanisms or... Dealing with her, I guess, like, in like a cognitive sense. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, cool. He's not addressing her symptoms. He's just standing there. And he believes in his own head that because he's there, she is better at OCD. But she's not all the way better because she still won't fuck him. <laughs> I, have a, I have a joke about that for later. <laughs> and by later, I mean the second scene of the episode. <laughs> uh, anyways, we, we open up on the booty camp. Where mm-hmm. Santana's back and just don't worry about it. She's she's back in Glee Club and Sue doesn't know. Don't worry. Don't fucking question it. Yeah. And like, I kind of like that for Santana. She's like, look, don't just don't tell Coach Sue that I'm here in Glee because I want to be in Glee and I want to be with my girlfriend. It feels <laughs> weird 
It feels like there should have been a scene about it or something since, like, it was a whole blow-up at the end of the premiere where Will's like, Santana, get out of this Glee Club because you're one of Sue's minions! You committed arson! <laughs> and now it's just like, anyway, she's back, don't worry about it. Yeah. Damn, what if the mob came for Santana because she torched one of the pianos from from definitely not a mobster, Almada. <laughs> And then she could destroy them all with her street fighting skills. Oh shit, what if there was a hit out on Santana? <laughs> and then she would have to work with Lauren Zeiss to take out the henchmen uh, in a fun combat sequence. Anyway, Santana is here. But guess who's late? It's Mercedes. Yeah, she says she slept in. It's 4.30 in the afternoon. Oh, the, the alarm clock was half an hour late and it threw off my whole schedule. I mean, like, I can understand that. That's relatable. I can't. Because you're in school, like, the class bells are gonna help you rearrange things. Yeah. But this is not me blaming Mercedes. No. I want this to be clear. Anything that Mercedes does not sin in this episode, it is all the writers. Yes. And she's late, and they're doing, like, individual dance sequence training, and she can't make it through her sequence without getting nauseous. And there's some weird body-shaming bits that I really hate. Between Mercedes and Santana. Yeah, because... So she's feeling nauseous because she doesn't have time to eat between, like, school, glee, booty camp, and practicing for the musical. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Santana's like, oh, whatever, don't baby her. Like, she's obviously, like, just can't hold her quiznos. And then Santana's like, yeah, well, it's not, like, you eat ever. Yeah, and I hate that, especially because... <sighs> I think I remember seeing some some comments from Naya Rivera about how like she actually had like issues with body image and eating in high school. Where I'm like, yikes, y'all. <laughs> yeah, and like, so I don't know, like, because there's like a a hurt look that Santana mm -hmm. like gives and shows to the camera after Mercedes says that, and I don't know if that mm -hmm. was an acting choice from Naya or an actual reaction to Naya. I do feel like Naya was preparing for an eating disorder episode that never came because they keep joking about Santana having one and then just never yeah. following through. Th this feels like a very season one of the Glee project. Let's take our cast members' insecurities and write them into their characters. <laughs> I don't think it's that. I think it's just the writers being incompetent. Valid. You know who else is incompetent? God, I need a fucking list. <laughs> Mercedes tells Will, she's like, look, I'm overscheduled. And he's like, you're not trying, Mercedes. This isn't about you doing your best. It's about you doing my best. Ooh. Well, technically he says it's about being better. But what he means is doing your best to match my standard of best. And my note here was, everyone hated that. <laughs> yeah. Because we see reaction shots from all of the kids about like, nope, don't like that. Fucking yikes, Will. Yeah. Uh, speaking of yikes, uh, and Will. Yes, yes. He announces the next morning at breakfast uh -huh. that he has found a secret stash of bridal magazines. Specifically, when he was looking for anti-horny cornflakes. <laughs> Because Emma still won't fuck him. <laughs> and he's not mad that Emma has a collection of wedding magazines and is one and is thinking about the future together. And he's like, but I hate secrets and I despise liars. So here's my porn stash that I keep in a home goods wicker basket. No, it's not his porn stash. It's his uh, groomsman stash. I don't know what the meaning of groomsman stash is. So, so you know how Emma has a secret stash of bridal magazines? Yes. 
Will says, here's my secret stash of grooms groom magazines. I also want to get married and I'm weird about it. I didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, because he makes a comment like, oh, I was always a groomsman to end, so I've, I've been missing out. I heard Will say, I was a bachelor for a year. Oh! See, see, I heard that and I thought, oh, he wants to be a groom. And you heard that and I think you had the correct deduction of, oh, he wants to come. Yeah, he's like, I was a, he's like, I was a bachelor for a whole year and Emma looks in the basket and she's like, nope, we're gonna put this away until we can go burn it out back. You know, that makes a lot more sense in hindsight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, then he's like, being married is one of the dot 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 many milestones I wish to achieve with you. Yes. But it's like, what other milestones are you looking forward to, Will? Kids? Filing taxes together? Coming? <laughs> I mean, probably also that. It is Will Schuster. He wants to bust a move. Yes, he does. Hopefully not including the actual song, Bust a Move, this time. Wait, no, hang on. Terrible joke incoming. But are all of Will's stupid character choices just because he's suffering from pre-nut delirium? If that is the case, I'm just extremely disappointed. Is Emma with Will because she can fix him? Honey, you can't fix him. (laughs) You shouldn't try. If she was in the relationship to fix him, then she would be singing the song Fix You at the end of the episode. And you know it should probably sing it better. Probably, yeah. Hot take. (laughs) But that's- we're getting ahead of ourselves. Hot take. Jima Mays is a better- is a better singer than Matthew Morrison. Absolutely. Anyways- yeah, Will's like, uh, is it weird that I haven't met your parents yet? And she's like, they're dead. <laughs> we do not speak their names. And he's like, but you talked, I heard you talking on the phone with them last night. And she's like, I have ghost parents. Yep. I was speaking to them from beyond the grave. Yep. And he's like, mm, I don't buy that. And she's like, let's not worry about that right now. It's a terrible deal and we're moved too fast and I have to go to work. And it's bye. Yeah, she pieces out. Then speaking of bad parents. <laughs> We've seen worse. Yeah. We, ju- we literally just saw worse. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of misguided parents. There you go. So it's it's Mike Chang Sr. is in the office with Mike Chang Jr. and Figgins. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be referring to Mike's parents as Dad Chang and Mom Chang. On account of if I keep calling him Mike, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Dad Chang wants to give Mike a drug test because he got an A- minus on a chemistry test. <laughs> yeah, listen, my grandmother in Hubei province, China, only knows three phrases in English. Kiss my grits, Coca-Cola, and Harvard University. Even she knows the best school, and Mike can't get in with a fucking A-. minus. Yeah, and my note here was, did they have anyone, I don't know, this... As well, okay, like, where... I, I, know what you're t- I know what you're trying to s- about to be about to say, and I'm here to say, this is the part of the episode where we both announce we're white. Yes. And we did not, like, seek out a guest on this on account of, I didn't want to be messaging any of our Asian friends and be like, hey, can you tell us about your parents? That mm-hmm. would be arguably worse than anything they do in this episode. Yeah. But I don't think it's a reach because it is a common thing. Like, people have spoken about it. it's a common thing amongst... Asian American families Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. pushing your kids to succeed and have a stable future. 
for a lot of reasons. One of them is that culturally you're supposed to support your parents after they reach a certain age. Yes. So obviously they're going to want you to have a good job for, to do that. Yes. And part of it is just like, you're not, th- there's like this romance, I don't want to say romanticization, but there's this idea, especially in wet, white Western families that you mm-hmm. like, if you don't like your family, just leave, just get out of there. The musical rent. <laughs> Exactly. But in this day and age of films where the crux is parents got to apologize to their kids, there have been a lot of people who are like, why doesn't Mirabelle just abandon her family? Why doesn't... Oh shit, what's the daughter's name in EAO? Joy. Joy. Why doesn't Joy abandon her family? She tries. <laughs> why doesn't the daughter from Turning Red abandon her mother? And it's because, May. Yeah, why doesn't May abandon her mother? And all of these are because they don't have a built-in support system if they were to bounce on their family. Like, there is a, 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 a specific cultural connection that you rely on your family for when you are not the white person in the white Western white world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's very much, you grin and bear it or you find a way to make it work. Yeah. And in, in a broader sense, like, the, it, there is this idea that brought up between the general divide of trying to explain to parents that you suffering does not mean I am obligated to suffer. The mm-hmm. idea is this: you went through struggles in order to make sure that I would not have to go through struggles. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you can apply to anyone. They don't just have to be Asian. Yes, exactly. And then the fact that the dad specifically caused the A minus the Asian F, I can chuck up to just the heightened reality of Glee. And I personally do think that is funny because I can see, like, it makes sense if it's Mike mm-hmm. and Tina going, oh my gosh, it's the Asian F. But the fact that the parents know it is kind of funny. Yeah. And if I'm fucking wrong, completely off base, please send us an email or tweet at us. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. The Tanner, you articulated that in a way that was a lot clearer than the tired and pessimistic joke that I was going to make. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, I don't blame you for being pessimistic about Glee on any subject, especially race, because I think it's also the first time they ventured into it as a serious topic. Yes. And like when, when we meet Mom Chang... Like, mm-hmm. the, the, I, also, I think they handled that very well as well. Yes. What they don't handle well, not completely, is... Mm-hmm. So Dad Chang says, okay, if, if it's not drugs, then it might be the girlfriend. And Fing is like, yeah, I'm what? sure it is the girlfriend, because she is a Tina vampire. Tina is a vampire. <laughs> Tina's a real vampire. Yes. And we get a little flashback to Figgins leaving school and Tina appears from an adjoining hallway in full vampire garb and says, I refuse to participate in gym. Farewell. Yeah, yeah. So she does say, excuse me from gym all year or I'm going to suck your spicy curry blood, which is, come on. I was, I was here for Tina living her vampire, the masquerade fantasy. And then he Mm -hmm. had to throw that line in. And it's like, that's, that, that does not sit comfortably with me. Yeah. I was delighted by the fact that Tina, they remembered that Figgins thinks Tina's a vampire, but yeah, spicy curry blood is not a great line. In fact, it's a bad line. Yeah. Sorry, Jenna. <laughs> fun, Sorry, fun fact, Iqbal. In my, in my season four fanfic, I had Figgins try to like academically punish Tina for being a vampire, and so she teamed up with Joe, the Christian Dreadlock boy, to stage an exorcism. <laughs> God, could you imagine? I can, because I wrote it. <laughs> I meant, could I imagine? And the answer is yes, I can imagine. <laughs> I still I still have the documents. I can send them to you. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> it's because he has a whole nightmare sequence where she turns the whole Glee Club into vampires and then they sing Teeth by Lady Gaga. 
Every time I hear about the song Teeth by Lady Gaga, I just remember that in the Pentatonix Wizard of Oz medley they did, they reframed the song Teeth to be called Feet. And it was about showing the ruby slippers to the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> who were, and notably, the Wicked Witch of the West and Dorothy were both played by Kirstie Maldonado. You know what we call that? Range. <laughs> really, honestly. But yeah, anyway. Uh, aside from the whole Tina is a vampire thing, Mike's dad then decides that, no, actually, Mike should just drop Glee because football is more important than Glee and academics are more important by- than football. So Glee should Glee should be axed. Yeah, like the, the consultant says that it was meaningless on this transcript and even a detriment, which that sounds fake because you can swing anything as a plus on a transcript. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Glee taught me teamwork and yes. music history, culturally. Yes. Striving to improve through adversity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put a list of all the adverse things they've encountered. <laughs> Plus, high-class rich people love the arts. They hate supporting the arts, but they love, like, seeing the arts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Case in point, Broadway. <laughs> yeah, the, the, they love to see arts just kind of manifest out of the ether. I think that's what they think happens, because they're mm-hmm. not going to fund it. But they love when they happen. And so yeah. I do think, actually, that being in Glee Club would be a plus on the transcript. Mm. Maybe, Or maybe it's just this Glee Club specifically. <laughs> maybe they hear the name, oh, this is associated with Will Schuster. Nope. Can't take you, bud. Sorry. N- normally, you'd be right at the top of our list for being involved in show choir. But this is an absolute dog shit Glee Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But thank- thankfully... After Mike's dad is like, no glee club for you. Arts are terrible. Mike turns to his dad and he says, please, please, dad, just give me another chance. I'll get my grade up. I'll pay for a tutor on my own. And Harry Shum Jr. is acting his ass out. <laughs> He's, he has tears in his eyes. He looks desperate. My note here was, God damn, Harry. <laughs> He's good. So you know the one thing I like more than idiosyncratic episode naming, or almost as much at least? What? It's written in infirmity. When a character has an injury, and the, like, or the actor has an injury, and so they have to explain how it happened in universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, one time in the show Grimm, there is a, a one of the main cast. Like he broke his leg, so at the start of the first episode, after he broke his leg, it's just him getting wheeled out of the office in his chair by his coworkers, saying, you, "We're forcing you to go on vacation." And the next episode, he shows up on crutches and is like, "Yeah, so that vacation you forced me to go on, I broke my leg while like ziplining." <laughs> Oh, no, no, I told you that story so I could tell you that uh, Coach Beast found out that Ace of Cakes was cancelled and kicked a fire hydrant, so that's why he's on crutches this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Coach Beast is telling uh, is telling his footballers this, and also mentions there's a staff infection going through the wrestling team, so make sure that you, cl- that you like, thoroughly shower frequently. Wash your fucking balls. Um, yeah. But- <laughs> My yeah. favorite part of this is that, okay, so we get the Ace of Cakes fire hydrant line, and then it zooms in on Mike playing sad violin music while Beast talks about the staff infection, and then it snaps back, but this only takes, like, ten seconds. Yeah. Mike is dissociating. But no, but he doesn't have time to dissociate for longer than ten seconds. <laughs> yeah, because then Coach Beast also mentions that, and he calls out, like, three football players including um azimio and puck because the west side story auditions are on wednesday and y'all gotta dance and puck is like oh but i don't want to audition and coach beast is like everyone has to be there unless you have an exemption and finn says 
I have tire shop and does like a little peace sign. <laughs> and then Azimio's like, oh, dancing's gay. And Beats is like, shut the fuck up. It improves coordination and gets half the NFL on Dancing with the Stars. Mm-hmm. Booyah. He's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, especially because like actual footballers do do ballet and or gymnastics to improve their flexibility and like muscle stuff. Mm-hmm. Muscle tone, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the thing they do. I don't know if they do it in high school, but they definitely do it in college football. Mm-hmm. So, like, if... if Az- <laughs> oh, Azimio would be in for a rude awakening if he did, like, pursue football into college or university. And they're like, all right, football boys, time to go for ballet. And everyone's like, yeah. And Azimio's like, what? But the heteronormativity! <laughs> yeah. And... I, th- I think also then Coach Peace is like, and you all need to know how to dance. And someone is like, but Coach, how are we going to learn how to dance? And everyone looks at Mike. Yeah. And he's like, uh-oh. If I hide inside my pads, can you still see me? <laughs> um, I was, speaking of the best football boy. Yes. Best football boy. Sorry, Finn. Sorry, Finn. I mean, Finn, you're the third best at best. Yes. If we're ranking the football team, actually, okay, if we're ranking, it's gonna go, starting from the bottom, it'd be Azimio, then Karofsky, I don't know if Karofsky counts because he doesn't go to the school anymore, mm-hmm. then Puck, then Finn, then Sam, then Mike, then Shane. Yes. That's my tier list of football boys. <laughs> I think that sounds about right, but yeah. Um. Anyway, best football boy, we... We then go to lunch, and Mercedes and Rachel have a conversation and hug, and Shane sees Mercedes hugging Rachel, and he's like, Mercedes, why are you hugging Rachel? And he's like, well, we're friends. And he's like, but you're also enemies. Like, she's your rival for the auditions. And do you, like, something like, do you think that star quarterbacks in the NFL hug each other before the Super Bowl? No. They get ready to pound them into the ground. <laughs> like, like a pile yeah. driver or construction equipment. <laughs> And he's like, listen, you you made me watch Dreamgirls. It was great. And you keep saying you're Beyonce. But right now you're seeing yourself as Effie White on the inside. And you need to see yourself the way I see you as a fucking superstar. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he even says, like, everybody's saying Rachel's the one to beat. But why don't you know that you're the one to beat? And I'm just like, okay, real quick. I, like, look, y'all know that I love Mercedes and Sam as a relationship, but I also love Sam and Mercedes. Hey, um, don't worry. I've I've already plotted out how we can make it work. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's like, look, Shane is football boy. But in the time that they have been dating, which presumably has been, I'm going to say at least a month and a half at this point, like in universe. Yeah, like they clearly, they probably met over the summer after Sam left. Yeah. Because they're already pretty solid by the time school starts. Yes. And it's like, like, she clearly, like, supports him in footballing, and he also, like, doesn't have any of the stigma about the arts that we see, like, the rest of the football boys, except for, again, the ones who are already in Glee, as well as, like, the hockey team. Like, the rest of the athletes at McKinley High School disdain the Glee club, but Shane, the exemplar, is like, no, like, I liked watching Dream Girls. I don't 100% get it, but I know that you are Beyonce. Like, you are you are skilled and you are talented and you deserve to see yourself that way. But also he understands that, that Rachel Berry is the rival and needs to go down. <laughs> yes. And he's, he's saying all this and Mercedes like, I have been waiting three years for someone to tell me that. Yes! <laughs> that's one of the lines where it feels like maybe that's also a little bit autobiographical in Amber Riley's case. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. And it's very cute, and they hold hands. 
They hold hands and they're happy. And then we cut to the first musical number of the episode, which is Mercedes singing uh, Spotlight by, I think, Jennifer Hudson. Yeah, which is meaningful because Jennifer Hudson also played Effie White in Dreamgirls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's cute because it's a, like, we start in the Glee Club. Rachel is talking with Will about something, presumably, like, I don't know, like... How special she is. Yes. And there's, like, some cute little bits with, like, I think Kurt and Blaine and... Then Brittany and Tina are singing back up. And Mercedes, like, does, like, the, does, like, the stalk around, or not the stalk, but the circle around Will and Rachel. And then we get to see her audition. She's in a great black dress. And she's backed up by Tina and Brittany. She does great. And we see, in the auditorium, we see Rachel and Shane both looking on from the wings. <laughs> and Shane is like, I'm so proud of my girlfriend! <laughs> <laughs> And Rachel's like, uh-oh. <laughs> and it's just, it's a very good musical number. I don't know if you have any comments on this No, one. you pretty much sum it up. It's like, it's like, <laughs> there's, there's not a lot to dig into it. It's just like, unilaterally, all aspects, all facets, it's good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, at the end of the musical number, because like, this was Mercedes auditioning for the part of Maria... Coach Beast and uh, Emma and Artie all applaud. And Emma's like, Mercedes, this is just a whole new side of you. You're so glamorous. And we love you. We love this for you. And Mercedes says, I just want you to see me the way that I see myself as a leading lady. Good for you. You are our leading lady, Mercedes. Speaking of, oh, wait, no, not women. It's not women time yet. Hold on. You got to <laughs> hold on. Speaking of auditions. Yes. Tina goes up to Mike and she's like, hey, are you ready for your audition for Riff? I told you you should, and it'd be a great role, and we've been practicing your singing, and you'd be so great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Mike is, Mike is feeling the pressure, and he's having a really hard time. And he's like, I, he's like, Tina, I got, I got an A- minus in chemistry. And she's like, oh shit, it's the Asian F. You know what, though? We can, you can get beyond that. Yes. And he's like, also, my dad hates the arts. And she's like, you should just be honest with your dad. And then Mike is like, oh, like, how, you were honest about your stutter? And she's like, ah, point taken. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he, he just, he get a sad and he leave. <laughs> and then we get a reminder that they're doing a plot line about who's running for senior class president. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of, we peek in at this at a few, it's, it's not a major thing, but they're like, you know what, <laughs> we might as well just make this episode chock-a-block full of good songs. Yeah. Because Rachel is helping Kurt plan stuff for the campaign, and Kurt is, like, excited because it sounds like he's in the lead. But then Brittany shows up, and she's like, Rachel, if you vote for Kurt, then you're just making another- putting another man in charge of the school. And where have men got us? Economic freefall. War in Afghanistan. Oil spills. (laughs) And, yeah. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. Not that I'm gonna say that a woman can't be a terrible capitalist. But at the time, it was mostly the men in charge. Yes. And basically, like, she and Santana tell Rachel that, like, look, a vote for Kurt is a vote for the patriarchy. And it's time for a matriarchy. And also a flash mob, thanks 2011. Yep. She does one of her magical turns and immediately, like, goes from Cheerios outfit to, like, soft punk Cheerios outfit. Yes. It's literally, it's literally like a magical girl turn. Yeah. It's it's a match cut. <laughs> it's so cool. She's got a different cheer top and like the big black boots and a leather skirt. And I think at some point she has a hat, but she definitely loses it by the end of the number. Mm-hmm. She has a hat, but then she loses it so that she can do some hairography. 
This is true. Mm-hmm. And she marches through the hallways of William McKinley High School as she gathers a, cr- a crew of uh, So You Think You Can Dancers. <laughs> it's pretty much, yeah. It's the, the song is Who Run the World, bracket, girls, girls in bracket. <laughs> and they, they end up in the gym where they get to have a whole musical number and a dance sequence, including the William McKinley High School marching band. Love a marching band. And also pretty much every girl, including T like Tina obviously joins in as soon as like she sees a flash mob go through the choir room. Mm-hmm. And then Emma and Beast are like, oh yeah, this is funky. Uh-huh. And em- Emma joins in. And Quinn. then like Quinn, yeah, Quinn is there too. Quinn's like right up at the front. They even get like a little uh, unholy trinity moment between Quinn, Santana, and Brittany. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very cute to see, like, I know I wanted Quinn to stay a punk, but it's also very cute to see Quinn just, like, fucking giving her with the hip-hop dance moves while dressed in, like, a pretty, like, yellow skirt and cardigan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's also a fun part where, because, like, we see in, like, the stands during this flash mob, we see, like, uh, I think it was Rachel and Kurt sitting together and, like, Santana and some Cheerios in front of him and uh, her... And Santana gets the little desk camp part of like, you'll do anything for me. Well, she like looks back and like, just like, hey, Kurt, eat it. Eventually, Rachel joins. Also, yeah, eagle-eyed viewers can spy yes. that Lauren was yes. there. My note literally was all caps. Lauren! Lauren is here, guys! She does nothing but dance and we won't see her for another season and a half. But I'm, I'm glad that she's here. I'm glad that Lauren Zeiss continues to exist in the universe of Glee because I think she's cool. Yes. Also, Lauren is so powerful that her vote has to count for at least two. (laughs) (laughs) She casts two ballots and just stares down the person running the ballot box like, I can do this. Exactly. She's allowed to stop the ballots. (laughs) Yes. Each of her fists gets a vote. (laughs) Anyway, Kurt just sits there looking scared. (laughs) And then time for another debate. It's Emma and Coach Beast in the lunchroom trying to figure out who should be Maria. Rachel, who is the shoe-in, or Mercedes, who is the riskier but more exciting choice. <laughs> I think the choice is clear personally, but Will comes into the lunchroom and they say, Will, whatever you're doing with Mercedes, it's working out great. And Will's like, yeah, I'm doing great, aren't I? Prick. Yeah. You've done nothing. You've actively held her back. Yes. Yes, he takes credit for internal work on behalf of Mercedes. <laughs> But they're also like, this is the conflict of the century. We don't know who to pick. And Will is like, you know what you need? A diva off. And so the directors tell Rachel and Mercedes that they're going to be doing a diva off to a well, song they, from They're fame. doing a callback. They don't state diva off, even though that is what it is. That is what it is. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's a callback. And Rachel's like, oh, great. So I can just sing I Feel Pretty. And they're like, absolutely not. You will both be singing out here on my own from fame. Mm-hmm. And my note here was, Rachel is smarmy, Mercedes is confident. (laughs) Exactly. And even after, Rachel's like, here's like a good luck hug before the competition. And Mercedes like pushes her away with a finger to the forehead. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, don't hug me now. Hug me when I win. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And then, because it's (sighs) still audition day. Really good scene! Mike is on the phone with his dad, and he's like, Dad, I'm just about to go over to Lima Bean to meet with the chemistry tutor, and I'm sorry I disappointed you! And then he walks past the dance studio, which I guess they have in McKinley. The arts gets no funding, but they just have a dance studio. Don't worry yeah. about it. I think this is and- the dance studio where Rachel and Jesse hung out a couple of times in, like, season one. But I thought that was, like, a community center. I don't know. 
Who knows? The layout of Bikini changes every year. They're going to be manifesting a swimming pool halfway through the season. Look, William McKinley High School is an eldritch location that only has two classrooms, three if you count the Glee Room, but an infinite number of other amenities. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so he's about to meet the tutor, then he sees the dance studio, and he's like, I've got to dance! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, God, this scene is so good, y'all. Like... Mike is doing some some twists and turns and jumps in this thing where he kind of like sidewinders along the floor. And all of it is like very cool technical dance moves that Harry Shem Jr. is doing. But then he ends up facing a mirror in a dark corner of the studio. And then his dad appears next to him. And he has this like short conversation with his dad about how like, like dancing means that you're a disappointment to me and to your family. And we want you to be successful. And dancing can only lead to failure, especially if you get hurt. Something to that effect. And then, like, we get some of the little cuts to see that, like, his dad's not actually there. And Mike is just having this conversation with him inside his head. It's an illusion. But then Mike, like, shakes off imaginary dad's hand and then dances towards the other corner of the studio where it is lit by the sun coming in through a window. And then he imagines Tina there and... She tells him, like, look, like, you don't talk a lot and you don't sing a lot, but you really show, like, yourself who you are through dance. And, like, dancing is when you come alive. And it's why I fell in love with you. And they have a hug. And then Mike, like, closes his eyes and when he opens them, Tina's gone, but he's, like, hugging the air. And he just sits there, like, kneeling and facing the light for a minute. And <laughs> it is, the scene is too good for Glee. <laughs> Well, don't worry, they're going to bring it back down. Because uh, we cut over we cover over to the auditions, and Artie's like, where is Mike? The boy's like an expensive Swiss... He's never late for anything. He's like an expensive Swiss, Swiss watch reproduced cheaply in China. Hey, hey, Glee writers. I missed that part. It's I just not heard... a joke. It, well, I'm once again reminding you that's not a joke if the joke is, hey, did you know that Mike is Asian? I missed that part about the, the made in China thing. I hate that. Yeah. That was that was another lead balloon. Yes, but they're they're about to move on to the next auditionee. But then Mike runs in, and he's in like I guess what they're probably going to end up dressing the members of the Sharks and the Jets in. And he's in like the like a black like rolled up t shirt with like rolled up jeans and Converse. And he says, "Hi, I'm here to audition for Riff. Please, I know I'm late." And they're like, "Hair." They're like, "I almost said to Harry." They're like. Mike, you do know that Riff is a singing role, right? And he's like, I've been I've been working on my singing, and I want to audition for Riff. And they're like, okay, cool, go for it. And he's like, speaking of cool. <laughs> and it's very fun. Mm-hmm, it's extremely good. And like, because he is singing, he is singing a good sing song. And also, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and also like halfway through, the football boys start showing up and dancing along with him. Yes. Which would have been real awkward if Mike did end up going to the tutor instead of, like, showing up for the audition and the boys just had to do the dance without him. <laughs> yeah, really. My note here was, Mike casts summon football players <laughs> and they appear from the wings. Um, They do that, like, log roll jump stunt. Oh, yeah. Where it's, like, you, like, you're rolling on the ground and then... People, like, push themselves, like, laterally off the ground to jump over you as you roll underneath them. It's very cool. And, like, musically, it's good, too. Mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it nice. <laughs> At the end, the directors, they're like, 
uh, that was really good. I just hope you didn't waste your time. And Mike's like, oh, it's what I love to do. It's never going to be a waste of my time. Oh, the boy is good. Mike Chang, good. You're real good. Mm-hmm. Real cool. <laughs> I can't go that low. So after this commercial break, we uh, find Beast and Shelby Corcoran in the staff room where Beast is inhaling a giant bowl of creamy pasta. <laughs> it's, it's like they told Dot Marie Jones, like, here's your bowl of Alfredo Linguini. You have to eat as much of this as you can before the end of the take. <laughs> she goes, fuck yeah. Yeah. And Coach Beast is like, hey, Shelby, why hasn't anyone else joined your show choir? And he's like, she's like, it's because of that fucking glee club. And it's basically just to remind us that Shelby has started a splinter show choir. But then Shelby tags out so that Will can sit down with Beast, who was like, I'm sad because I don't know who Emma's parents are. Like, I don't know who they are or what they're like. And and then he tells Will, like, you should just introduce yourself to Emma's parents on your own. Yeah, normal behavior. Yeah, normal behavior. And also, did you know that breadsticks delivers? Fuck yes. Because, like... I really... Oh. What, when we said that Coach Beast was eating a bowl of Alfredo linguine, I do mean, like, a giant scalloped edge salad bowl. Yeah. <laughs> like, larger... Like, we're talking, like, beach ball size. <laughs> and now I want pasta. I kind of do, too. I need Now I need to see if Eastside Mario's delivers. <laughs> hey, bada boom, bada bing. Hey, bada boom! Hey, bada bing! <clears throat> I'm podcasting here! <laughs> yeah. One time, a friend asked me to do a New Yorker accent for their video essay, and then when I watched it, I found out I'd been replaced by one of our other friends who did a better New York accent. <laughs> Oh no, Which I'm sorry. I don't hold against anyone. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, we're 20 minutes into the episode, and this is Blaine's first line. Yeah. Which is a miracle I'll hold close to my heart. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's like, it's literally like a scene that's a minute long or less, and it's Blaine giving Kurt roses for doing nope. so well at his audition. Nope. Other, it is Kurt giving Blaine roses. Thank you. It, yeah, Kurt's like, listen, uh, the, if you don't get the role of Tony, there's gonna be a Sondheim wrath curse upon the school, so, like, we might as well celebrate now. Gives him the flowers, and Blaine's like, oh, you're so cute! And then they look around, and there's people, so they can't kiss, and it's a sad piano plinking. Mm-hmm. End of scene. <laughs> we just wanted to remind you that the gays are sad. You know, I bet that if Blaine and Kurt had a kiss on stage at Nationals, it would go over better than Finn and Rachel's did. <laughs> You know, I bet if Kurt was Maria. <laughs> God, I, I was gonna say, could you imagine? But knowing the Glee fandom, there are probably many fan fictions out there where Kurt is cast in the role of Maria. It doesn't even need to be Glee. Every if there is a show, if if there is a show where there is a musical where you can cast characters in the show, they're gonna be gay in the way of the casting. Where were we? Ah, uh, booty camp. Booty camp. <laughs> they're they're. Testing out whether or not everyone can do something called a Widowmaker. Yes. Okay, also, this is the part you have to put in. One shot. One kill. Is that an Overwatch thing? It is an Overwatch thing! Congratulations, Christina! You you got a gamer (laughs) reference! (laughs) Cool. Also, I will have you know that I googled Widowmaker in Google, and I did get Widowmaker Overwatch. And then I googled Widowmaker Dance Move, and I got a notification saying, Safe search is off. <laughs> <laughs> Don't 
do you know that Widowmaker needs to have a canonically massive ass because of the spider DNA? God, I have and no Blizzard, idea. And Blizzard, for all their infinite faults, at the very least someone at Blizzard said, no, we, we shouldn't make her ass that big. That's weird. Yeah, who are we, Pixar? <laughs> Widowmaker used to be a Pixar mom, but then she got brainwashed. Oh my god. Uh, anyways, excuse me for dropping in. It's time for, yeah, it's booty camp. Brittany's there to dance her way into the voters' hearts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Widowmaker is a dance move. I wasn't yeah. watching what the move is, though, so. It, it was this thing where it was like, you have to, like, you, like, crouch down and you, like, kick your legs out to one side and then to the other side, I think. Something like that. In my initial extremely short Google search, I don't, this isn't an actual thing. We could probably ask Riley, but I don't think it's a real thing. I think this is something they made up to be like the equivalent of a burpee. And they they all run through it and everyone gets it except for Mercedes. Because we hate Mercedes today, apparently. Well, Ian Brennan hates Mercedes. <laughs> but yeah, so Mercedes is struggling. Mm-hmm. They're like, Mercedes, you're terrible. Why can't you do this? You're, you're slacking. Mm-hmm. You're lazy. And Mercedes is like, you know, I'm going to fucking snap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Mercedes... <sighs> says something to the will is like do better and she's like no i am do i am doing the best that i can with all the pressure that i have on me you are just being nepotistic and biased against me and towards that skinny ass kisser rachel yep why is she not a booty camp and finn's like well she practices and mercedes like shut the fuck up finn Finn says that with the tone of, she practices every single night and she does that instead of us making out. (laughs) (laughs) And Mercedes then says that she's outgrown Will and she's outgrown Glee Club. And it's, it's just like, this is, I forgot to mention this earlier, but this is like part three of like, just give these kids a goddamn break. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's storming out and Will declares, Mercedes, if you... (laughs) If you walk out that door, you're out of Glee Club. Mm-hmm. A minute here was, Will, you do not have the numbers. If you do this, you are going to you're going to ruin your own Glee Club's chance at winning because you will be short on numbers. <laughs> you will not have enough yep. people to enter any competition. But also, we know now that that's an empty threat since Santana was welcomed back immediately. Yeah. But anyway, as Mercedes is leaving, like, she turns away from the camera and the lights drop. And then they come back up, and it's time for the musical number, It's All Over from Dreamgirls, and everybody's in, like, this is a true dream sequence. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's good. It's, oh, this is, not to not to give it away, but this is my gold star uh, musical number. <laughs> yes, Because yes. it's so good, and almost everything of the original number fits with the events happening in the show, and the stuff that doesn't fit, they actually change lyrics around so that it fits better with the context, which they rarely mm-hmm. change lyrics to make the thing make more sense. Yes. It's just, it's so cool. Because it's like... It, it everyone is in like wonderful costume. They all have great wigs. Are they wigs or are their hair just styled? I'm assuming they have to be in wigs because like Quinn's in a wig because she her hair is not long enough. She is in a wig, but I think everyone else seemed to be in a wig just because of like how immaculately placed everyone's hair was, if that makes sense. Mayhaps. But everyone's got great hair. 
the women are all in sparkly pink dresses and Mercedes has a non-sparkly pink dress. Kurt is in a sequined blazer to match the women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and everyone else is in like very slick suits and like Will and Mike have fedoras. Not like, not quite like milady fedoras, but fedoras. <laughs> yeah. Well, because the milady fedora is actually a trilby. Yes. I know They're this. wearing proper fedoras. Yes. And it's so cool because, like, in this musical number, like, one thing I think is that everybody is addressing Mercedes as Effie, but she addresses everyone else by name. And I'm like, it's because Mercedes, despite wanting to be a leading lady still, in still deep in her heart, sees herself as Effie. And in, the, in this dream sequence, she is imagining, like, all of her friends, her support group, she is imagining them all as her adversaries in this case and she's like but no you guys are my friends i love you all and support you except maybe santana and will but this this is like mercedes dive to the heart <laughs> like just play <laughs> played just like overdone this with Destati from kingdom hearts <laughs> there's also there's a part where like because finn tries to get them to ooh stop all this fighting and mercedes says stay out of this finn this is between santana and me and then Kirk comes in with the, yeah, well, it's between me two. I'm as much a part of this group as anybody else. And I'm tired. Effie, Effie I'm, I'm tired. tired of all the problems they're making up. And Mercedes says, I always knew you two were together. To which Kirk goes, what? And that's where we got that beautiful Kurt face that used to be our Twitter avatar. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there's a whole thing in here. There was also a part about, like, Santana was stepping up and Mercedes made some kind of a crack about like Brittany and Santana being together. And Santana was immediately like, You do not talk about my woman like this. Yeah. Also, Brittany doesn't get any solo lines this song, but I do like it because the great acting from Heather Morris, I hope it's acting, but Brittany just kind of has this vacant stare for most of the dream sequence. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's like, Wait, why am I here? <laughs> if anyone can tell when they're slurped into a glee dream sequence, it's Brittany. Absolutely. And, like, there's also a part where, like, Puck tries to talk Mercedes down from leaving the Glee Club. And she's like, no, I hate, she's like, no, Puck, you're on their side, too. And he's like, I look, I'm just trying to help you, but whatever, it's fine. And Mike is like, I am staying out of this. Because he also gets to sing a solo. Guys, I just want to dance. <laughs> Mike just want to do a dance. This is the year of Mike. God, make it so. And I also, I also like the part where right after Mike's solo, Mercedes has the, I'm not feeling well, I've got pain. And then everyone just like surrounds her and then throw <laughs> their hands up. Every we've all got pain! <laughs> that is true, they do. And I forget how the musical number ends, but like... It ends with everyone storming off, declaring it's all over, and Mercedes on her own, and like the spotlight shudders so that she's back to her normal clothes, and she just goes, it's over. Mm -hmm. And then commercial break. And... Quick aside, okay. I think we're going to probably first. talk about the same thing. My my first note was, damn, I'm glad that Amber got to be Effie in Dreamgirls professionally. Oh, yeah. And I found a, I found an article, uh, actually it was surprisingly enough, on Yahoo reviewing Amber Riley's performance as Effie in Dreamgirls in the West End. This excerpt from the review is, is hers is a weapons-grade voice, the sort that flattens audiences like a blast wave. She can drop from full volume to a velvety hush in an instant, or build it up the other way, notch by notch, until she nails a belt note like nobody's business. It's a voice that gets into your very bones, and I'm like, yes, empirically correct. 
Also, there's probably a there's probably a filming of it somewhere if we want to watch it at some point. <laughs> what were you gonna say? I was gonna say because okay, now to bring it down a little bit, was this musical number worth all the bullshit that we had to put Mercedes through? My answer is gonna be that I don't think that Mercedes deserves the bullshit that she has had to deal with. So I, I wish that it hadn't happened, but I'm still glad that we got this musical number. Yeah, oh yeah, me too. And he, so here's my thing, is that the Mercedes stuff for the first three episodes of this season is trying to make it seem like Mercedes deserves this flack. Because, like, she was complaining about being in booty camp last episode and was like, come on, Mercedes, I'm sure Beyonce does extra practice. Aren't you Beyonce? And then in this episode, it's, like, trying to show her being lazy. And they're trying to make it seem like Mercedes doesn't want to put in the work, which is a complete departure from her character for the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. And if I was in charge, I would have made it show, like, not only is Mercedes, like, okay, maybe she's, like, a little bummed that she has to be in booty camp, but, like, she's aware that she wants, like, she wants to get better at the dancing, but she mm -hmm. is struggling because she's not used to dancing. She is a fat girl, and, like, I'm not saying fat girls can't dance, but it's that there yeah. is a little bit yeah. more effort, especially if you're not used to moving in that way. Yeah, I mean, case in point, <laughs> floor work. Exactly, floor work. Fat, fat people hate floor works. Shut up from the rooftops. <laughs> and... Uh, but the the show should have showed her putting in her all, doing her best, mm -hmm. maybe even bringing up that, that, like, she can dance with the best of them, but Will's trying to put her, make her do floor work, which he should know is her weak spot. She could have said something like, Will should be helping them do better at the things they're already good at, instead of make it, like, beating them down over things that they're already struggling with. Mm -hmm. And that's where we can say that he's favoring Rachel. Because we know as the audience that he does favor Rachel. But yes. they should have made it clearer in the show. Yes. I think that is a very cons that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, it's like all the with the whole arc that's set up at the end of this episode for the rest of this first half of the season, they're mm -hmm. trying to make it seem like it's a heel turn for Mercedes and company. It but everyone loved every moment of it. So they had to like kind of quickly backtrack and be like, actually this was a girl boss time and she was right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard for me to <laughs> I understand and I agree that this was them trying to set up a heel turn for Mercedes, but I have a really hard time, like, I think they did not write a heel turn. I think they wrote a coming into her own turn for Mercedes because she's like, no, I'm done devaluing myself. Like, yeah, I'm going to work, but I deserve better than to be talked down to by Will Schuster or by Rachel mm -hmm. Berry. <laughs> and if I am not getting the support that I need then I'm going to find environments where I will be supported. Exactly. Go hang out with your boyfriend. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, we then we cut to Mike dancing in front of a mirror in the dance studio again, and then his mom shows up in the mirror behind him. But she's not in his imagination, or a ghost. Uh, she's here in real life. And he's, <laughs> and he's like, Mom, what are you doing here? And she's like, well, I, uh, I called, or I'm here because I got a call from your chemistry tutor because you didn't show up. And... He's like, I can't explain. I had a thing. And she's like, don't lie to your mother. Yeah, you already made your mother lie to your father so I, because I covered for you for your absence. So now what the heck is going on? Mm -hmm. And he's like, mom, I don't want to be a surgeon or a lawyer. I want to be a dancer. I want to be an artist. I want to be special. And she has a really good like little mini monologue here where basically she's like, look, I had to give up a lot of dreams when I moved here, 
because my parents didn't encourage my dreams. And I know your father gave up dreams too, but I don't want you to give up your dreams. I want you to follow them and chase them and accomplish everything you want to accomplish. And she's like, what were you doing? And he's like, I auditioned for the musical. And she's like, cool. When you get the part, then we'll tell your dad together. And she's she's very good. And then Mike asks her, like, what dream she had to give up. And she's like, well, I also wanted to be a dancer, but your Wygong wouldn't let me take lessons. And so then they do a little dance together. Yeah, they do some ballroom dancing, and it's so precious. And Mike is a good son. <laughs> yeah, and it's really good, because I especially like that they don't bring up the fact that they're Asian as a reason for it. Yes. Like, so the mom does say, I grew up in, like, I can't remember if she says, I grew up in a culture, or I grew up in a household where we mm-hmm. had to give up dreams to be successful. But I think it's, household. It, it doesn't blame the fact that they're Asian. It blames the fact that this is this is what the family decided and what your dad's family decided. Like, the implication mm-hmm. is there, but it doesn't point fingers, really. Yeah. Without saying it out loud, it does say, like, this is a cycle. This is a cyclical thing w- within our family. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And the other thing I want to point out is that when Mike says he only feels... Spe- he doesn't say, I only feel special when I dance. He says... I knew you feel special when I do this. And then he jumps and does a little spin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He does a twisty turny. You do. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so after that cute moment, we yeah. get another scene. Did you, did you know that there are scenes after other scenes in television shows? Yes, I did. <laughs> quite Quite frequently, there are scenes mm-hmm. after other scenes. <laughs> so the, the next scene is the callback time. Mm-hmm. And Mercedes and uh, Rachel are both getting encouragement from their boyfriends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're boxers waiting to fight in a ring. I mean, there there is Emma who comes out in the center as they meet in center stage. And she does do a coin flip and she might as well have said, I want a good clean match. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just imagining like, I think it was, I think it was a skit from Monty Python's Flying Circus where it was like, two people in a boxing ring or maybe it was like like a full like a full-fledged boxer like fighting a girl scout or something like that but that's the kind of vibes that i had going into this <laughs> and weirdly enough puck is picking up on it too because he calls it the clash of the titans to quinn yep rachel wins the coin toss and finn in the wings just like yeah <laughs> she did it <laughs> but rachel says that mercedes can go first and she's not smarmy she's like something terrible is going to happen here on this day yeah and Mercedes is like, well, fine, thank you. I will go first. <laughs> and they sing, uh, they sing out here on my own. I-, I like the way that they framed this because, like, Mercedes gets like the first like verse, and then after that they trade off between phrases and lens flares. <laughs> and my other one here was Rachel's dress looks cheap. <laughs> it's a very like I'm assuming it's like some kind of a linen, but it's just it's very matte, and it's not a very flattering cut on her. <laughs> Whereas Mercedes's dress looks great, and they're because they're both in like black dresses, mm-hmm. and Mercedes looks great. Rachel's dress looks cheap, <laughs> and the song is good. <laughs> it it is a good song. Like I'm not going to say it's a bad song. They both sing it very well. It's just that like after all these other bangers that we went through, it does kind of pale a little bit. Yeah it it doesn't like keep up the momentum if that makes sense. Yeah, and also like if the, viewing it as a diva off, it doesn't have diva off energy either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it doesn't have diva off energy because, like, I would not call Maria a diva role. That's true. Now, and, but the thing is, if you were to swap it out with a song that does have more energy, like, if they were both to, like, sing Fame from Fame, 
Mm-hmm. I think that wouldn't quite work either because then the whole song is punched up. Like they did need the the lull a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's just I guess there, there's no other way they could have done it with the pacing unless yeah. they had all of Mike's story arc happen after Out Here on My Own, and then we got cool as the penultimate number. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Like, this is the best option. It's just... <laughs> mm-hmm. You're hearing Out Here on My Own, like, this is nice, but you're hearing Cool, or It's All Over, or Run the World, or Spotlight, and you're like, ah! Yeah. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any other notes, except for the fact that when they get done singing, uh, Finn tells Rachel that she was amazing, and Rachel's like, but Mercedes was better than me. And then she leaves, and I'm like, good. Rachel says that Mercedes is better than her. <laughs> Let's put that on a sound board and just play it. <laughs> but then she storms into Beast's office, and she's like, Coach Beast, I need to talk to you immediately. My note here was, wait, we've got 11 minutes left in the episode, and they still haven't done the ginger supremacist part yet. <laughs> yeah, oh, here's a lot they coming. <laughs> Unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, so Emma arrives home, and Will is like, like, she sees the nice plates out, and Will is dressed nice, and she's like, oh, is this a romantic dinner? And Will is like, nope, I've invited your parents over. Uh-huh. And Emma says, I'll be back to say hello in a minute. And my note here was, I thought she was gonna go, like, primal scream in the other room. <laughs> but no, She should've just to... leave. She, yeah, she should've. Goodbye. But... Goodbye, parents. Goodbye, Will. <laughs> Farewell. You decided to go behind my back and talk to my parents without me knowing about it. This is but a betrayal also... of trust. <laughs> How did Will get far enough into a conversation with the parents to not realize how bad they were <laughs> before he invited them over? I have no idea. Maybe he just found them on Facebook but didn't check any of the pages they liked. <laughs> oh, maybe. He created an event and invited them, and they just showed up. Yeah. Normal William behavior. But yeah, yeah so Emma <laughs> Emma's like, this is fine, we can get them to- we still have time to, to make them leave. I'll just say that I had an ovarian cyst burst. That works all the time. Uh-huh. And then Will is like, I don't know, what happened, what went wrong? And she's like, Will, my parents are ginger supremacists. Yeah, okay, well, I think we first need to say, just so we can dunk on Will a little bit more, he's like, Emma, why are you ashamed of me? Yeah, Will has to make it all about him. Yeah, it's not always about you, Will. Sometimes it's about your girlfriend's racist parents. Yes, and basically, the thing is that, like, it's not even a ham-fisted metaphor. This is a pig-fisted metaphor. The whole pig yeah. is here. It's not just it's the ham. Like, it's the heightened reality of Glee, so it is played for laughs, but they don't hide the fact that, oh, they're basically neo-Nazis. Yes. Because, like, they have this whole thing where they're basically like, oh, well, we only want our daughter to marry a ginger, because did you know that gingers are dying out, and by 2050 there will be no more red-headed people in the world? We have to protect our species. Schuster's a German name, isn't it? I'm sure there's some red hair in that Viking lineage. <laughs> ah! But, like, that's the intended reaction. You're supposed to be freaking out of these fucking horrific parents. That was a mistake. <laughs> I, primal, I primal screamed in a way that hurt my throat. <laughs> and probably scared the cat. Oh, uh, no, she's actually asleep in a sunbeam right now. <laughs> she's used to your primal screams. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, she was she was asleep while I was watching the episode. Lady looks at her watch, you know, because all cats have watches. She looks at her watch and she goes, oh, it's a Sunday. Christina's gonna have a meltdown. Mm-hmm. But... Anyway, my, my note here is, uh, Emma's mom definitely dyes her hair. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, for a while, my mom dyed her hair. I recognize 
the I recognize a an artificially colored hairline when I see it. <laughs> but they keep making some remark or Emma's parents make some more dumbass remarks. This starts to activate Emma's OCD and anxiety, and she starts trying to like clean spots off of her silverware and stuff. And then they make fun of her for that. Uh-huh. And we get a flashback where they're at the lo- the no, where are they? They're at breadsticks. Yeah, we the like this little flashback is because Emma's mom is like, I have no idea where where she gets her her tendencies, and then we go back to breadsticks <laughs> or wherever this restaurant is. Yeah, and 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 the mom's like, um, you're not our normal waitress, uh, Latino lady. Please send the white lady with the red hair back. And then they pull out the wipes and start wiping off the glasses that the Latina waitress brought over. And mom's like, you can never be too careful. And Emma just starts cleaning because children don't know what a racism is. Emma just internalizes, you gotta be clean. Yeah. I'm just glad that the only thing that Emma got was you gotta be clean. Yeah. And not the racist okay, but that's part. The th- that's the thing, is that, like, yeah, kids don't know what racism is. You, got, you gotta try real hard to drill in the racism to a child, an infant child. Mm-hmm. But it's also just, like, another factor of her OCD. Because I said this before, that I I like that they keep giving, like, different things that influenced Emma to develop the OCD and the germophobia over the course of her life. Mm-hmm. Because it's never just one thing. It's a whole bunch of little things that just keep compounding. Yeah. Yeah. And being reminded of her OCD when she was a child causes Emma to try to clean even more furiously and finally finally this gets <laughs> this earns Will a decimal of a point of credit in this episode because he tells Emma's parents off like look like look if Emma and I ever have kids I won't care if they're if they're ginger or not and I won't care if they have OCD or not, because I will. I will love them and treasure them no matter what. And your, and your dicks for not being compassionate towards your daughter. <laughs> and there's like a half beat, and then Emma's parents immediately start complaining about the meal. That yes, they're definitely eating real food off of their pro- off of their prop plates. And like Emma holds Will's hand as a thank you. And my note here was like, just kick them out of your house. <laughs> it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> you don't need them. <laughs> exactly. Go away. Leave now and never come back. Yep. So then, next day, back at school, Rachel confront or no, Kurt confronts Rachel mm-hmm. because turns out that conversation with the Beast was so that Rachel could join the elections, the student elections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is why. Actually, no. Real quick, locker decoration note. Rachel's locker now includes a pride flag, a framed promotional photo of Finn from the back half of season one, and. <laughs> Do you think Rachel took Finn to the mall to get headshots? <laughs> Maybe. And also a collage that has cut out letters that say Rachel and friends. And it's presumably <laughs> pictures of Rachel and her friends. But Kurt is mad, understandably, because like, look, like this is why we have primary elections. Because if you have enough candidates, then you're going to take away votes from candidates who could stand a good chance at winning against, say, a conservative terrible Republican, which is why you have to make sure that the other candidates are really, really good. <laughs> but enough about the American political system. Yeah, this is just Rachel being a bitch. <laughs> yes, this is Rachel being a bitch. Because she's like, I have to have senior class president so that I can go to Miata because I won't get the part of Maria because Mercedes is better than me. And like, Mercedes is better than you. That part is true. 
but Kurt gets mad because he's like, Rachel, I want to be a leader to the gay community within McKinley High School, and I can only do that if I'm senior class president. And my note here was, Rachel just wants to be special for Niata. <laughs> yeah, pretty much exactly that. And Kurt says, when you look back on high school in 10 years, you'll be thinking about, you'll, like, you won't be thinking about the clubs that you did or what was or was not on your resume. He says, you'll be thinking about your, like, the friends you made and the friends that you tossed aside. And then he storms off. <laughs> and in a double whammy, we then go to, uh, we then go to Rachel and Mercedes meeting with the directors. And it turns out that they decided that Rachel and Mercedes were going to be double cast for Maria. And Rachel immediately tries to make it like, oh, it's okay, Mercedes, you'll get, you'll get one show and the matinee on Sunday for the Lima Veterans Association. And then Artie is like, actually, we've decided to double the original runtime, so you each will get four evening shows and two matinees. And I think that sounds like a pretty decent deal. But then Mercedes points out that nobody else has been double cast for this musical. And she is upset that she is upset that Rachel was on or was decided to be on the same level as her, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, they, well, let's see, where did I, I wrote it down. She, yeah, she turns to Rachel and says, tell me you were, tell me you were better than me. Tell me. How come no one ever wants to hurt her feelings? It's always the Rachel Berry show around here. Well, no, not my senior year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she, she says, congratulations, Rachel, you got the part. And Rachel leaves, or Mercedes leaves, and Rachel is just sitting there looking like she's got sand in her mouth. <laughs> well, she, she also leaves. But she goes to Finn and she's like, I got the part. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I got it by default because Mercedes left. Mm -hmm. And Finn's like, okay, but this is great because now you can pull out of the election, right? And Rachel's like, I don't know. Maybe I can make a difference for women. And not even Finn is buying this. <laughs> yeah. And then Rachel says, Finn, who, like, can I count on your vote? Or did you talk to Kurt? And he's like, I don't know who I'm voting for. And he walks away. And Rachel stand there and look a sad. <laughs> and then we cut to Emma putting lotion on her hands, like getting ready for bed. And like, she's clearly like counting how many times she like, how many times she like tries to massage the lotion and that kind of a thing. And Will comes over and interrupts her counting. And she's like, son of a biscuit, I lost count. <laughs> and then Will's like, Emma, I'm sorry. And Emma just doesn't say anything to him, but she then turns around and like, kneels down by the bed and like to pray and as she, as she was doing so i noticed that on her on her bedside table is is framed promotional photos of her of her and will from the back half of season one <laughs> and will is like emma what are you doing and she's like i'm praying a lot in my head but i think that some sometimes i think that god hears me better if i am like kneeling in a prayerful way something about resonance with the linoleum <laughs> And then Will also gets down to pray, and he's like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm willing to learn. And I'm like, okay, cool, uh, nice throwback to season two, episode three, Grilled Jesus. <laughs> and then we get the last musical number. <laughs> yes, technically this is a musical number. It has a song and music in it, mm -hmm. and allegedly singing. I don't think it's that bad. I think it's pretty bad, Christina. <laughs> I don't think it's bad because I, I like the song Fix You by Coldplay. <laughs> I also like the song Fix You by Coldplay. That's why I think this is bad. Okay. I think that um, Matthew Morrison does not have the proper range and timber to match the lead singer of Coldplay. 
mm-hmm. who is probably only here because Gwyneth Paltrow said some nice things about Ryan Murphy to him. Yes, exactly. Because remember, Coldplay initially didn't want to be on Glee, uh, but then Gwyneth Paltrow was like, please, I'll let you put rocks inside of me. <laughs> and then Chris was like, I don't want to, pu- I don't want to put rocks inside of you, Gwen. Please start doing that. Uh, but I will go on Glee. Yeah. And basically, like, like this song is just a montage of, like, Will trying to comfort Emma as she is praying and crying. And we see Emma cleaning her phone with a toothbrush. And Artie puts up the cast list. And notably, also on the bulletin board with the cast list, are posters for Wicca Club, Vegan Club, Meet is Murder, OMG Texting Competition, Maki Lin Club, Games Club, High School Art Show, and The Quill Club. Like, writing Feather Quill. Ooh. But we see that with the cast, Mike got the part of Riff, Santana got Anita. Santana never even auditioned! We were deprived of Santana auditioning for Anita. <laughs> for like, just, they're, they're just like, Santana, you're the only, like, Latina person we know in this school. Just pick one. Yeah. Okay, it was weird because I think it was both TV tropes and the Glee Wiki were like, Mike is Latina, he's Costa Rican. And I'm like... that That's Harry, and only technically. <laughs> yes. Harry Shum Jr. was born in Costa Rica. And I think he said in interviews that he does, like, he's like, yeah, I was, I was raised in a Spanish-speaking culture. But remember, white Latinos exist. Yes. Extremely yes. <laughs> but you know what? I don't think there's any way we can come out of the other side unscathed if we try and have a conversation about the racial politics of the, the casting of West Side Story at McKinley. Oh, no. I, I am not touching that with the ten-foot pole. It's just a fucking dartboard. <laughs> Yes, it really is. Because also on the dartboard uh, is the fact that Blaine got the part of Tony, and Kurt is playing Officer Krupke, and he sees this and he's extremely sad, which, like, fair. I'd hate to be a cop, too. (laughs) And then we also see this little part of the montage where it's, like, everyone who is still in the Glee Club is in white shirts and jeans in the auditorium and they're backing Will as he's singing the lead on Fix You. So, and like, so because at the beginning, he's doing like this terrible falsetto, and now he's switched back to his normal voice, but his normal voice is now too low to hit the Chris Martin notes. Mm-hmm. So they, they took the worst of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> if you could have changed this episode, would you have kept this musical number? And if so, no. who would you have put on lead? I, I just would not have had the musical number. Okay. Um. Anyway, I guess the last part of it was that we see... Mercedes walking through the hallway and she and Rachel make sad slash angsty eye contact as Rachel looks at the list. And then Mercedes leaves and she walks into a classroom where she says, Hi, Miss Corcoran. I hear that you are auditioning people to join your show choir. I'm the star power you need. And Shelby's like, Ow! How fascinating. And that's the note that we end the episode on. Yes. It's weird. Dun dun dun! I started Tanner, so you get to go first. What's your gold star song? Uh, it's all over. I already mentioned that. Cool. Same. Uh, what about your gold star moment then? I think my gold star moment is the conversation between Mike and his mom. Yeah, that's good. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna be. I think I'm gonna be cheap and say that my my best for this episode is the acting. <laughs> Dang, she wasn't lying. Those actors sure can acting. <laughs> Well, look, because it's like, like, Amber Riley did a good job with acting. Uh, Harry Shum Jr. did a good job with acting. 
I wrote it down earlier, Mike's mom's actress's name. Um, Tamla Tomita, who plays Mike's mom, she did a good job with her acting, and I just really appreciated it a lot. <laughs> What's your worst? I think my worst is the journey we needed to put- the, the journey the writers put Mercedes on. It's the, the demonization of Mercedes in the first act, the first half of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I like, I like that she like snaps at them, declares she's outgrown them, and fucking bails- Mm-hmm. But it's just the the framing of it as something showing her immaturity is a flaw. Yeah. I had a thought earlier, which was like, what if Quinn had some of the lines that Will had about like, Mercedes, look like, we know you can do better. You need to do better. But I don't know if it would land the same way. And also I'm more comfortable hating Will Schuster. <laughs> <laughs> he is an acceptable target. Exactly. How about yourself? <sighs> I kind of want to give it to, like, the random racist jokes that don't need to be there. I think you should. Yeah. I think we should keep calling out on it. Yes. I will continue to do so. I I mean, that's it, man. (laughs) Yeah. It's Glee. Oh my god, we've been going for... I know we had, like, 15 minutes of vamping in the beginning. And I know we had... I know we had tortilla break, but holy cow, long recording. We should end the episode. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We came in with a weird energy. And we so did. I'll do my best to make us leave with the weird energy, too. Uh-oh. Wizard Like Me is part of the Corner Podcast Network, and we can be heard on your podcasting platform of choice. If we're not there, let us know and we'll work on getting there. We can be found at Loser Like Me Pod on Twitter and through Pod at gmail.com. Next time, as you can tell, Rory Flanagan is here. And also, we will have a guest next time, I think. Yes, the guest is Rory Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> God, could you imagine? Hey, Damien, do you want to come on the show and talk about your first episode on the actual TV series of Glee? (laughs) But that's in two weeks for you and three weeks for us, because Mm -hmm. our scheduling has been a riot. (laughs) Yay. Christina keeps having the audacity to, like, visit her family and have a social life. (laughs) Well, look, I have to make the best of my time before I get back into hell with work and I won't be able to take time off for four months because we will be under the threat of having to work on six hour shifts on Saturdays with 24 hours notice. Well that's disgusting. I agree Damien it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's it for the episode so three two one and, and that's, that's what, what you missed on Glee. Glee. Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now as we riff the show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love the show. Better grab your golden stars and slushies, cause you're listening. You're listening to Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me.